My name is Sean McCann. I'm conducting a series of expert interviews on behalf of the European Hematology Association at the annual meeting of the American Society of Hematology, which this year is in Orlando in Florida. And with me I have Tessa Anderson, you're very welcome. Anderman, yes. along. <laughs> Sorry, Anderman. Um, <coughs> and she's Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of North Carolina. She's an expert in infectious diseases, and we're going to talk about the microbiome and its mm -hmm. relevance to, I guess, hematology, but particularly mm -hmm. hematopoietic cell transplantation. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start off by just making a statement, if I may. I remember Van Beckham in the 1970s, you probably read about him, mm -hmm. who was able to transplant, uh, I think were mice or anyway, laboratory animals across the HLA barrier if they were kept in sterile mm -hmm. conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, we tried to do it in humans. It never worked. Right. So can you? So obviously we knew that the gut was, or at least they had an, an idea the gut was involved mm -hmm. way back 50 years ago. So I guess my first question is, what is the microbiome? Can you define it for ordinary people? Sure. So the microbiome is the collection of organisms that live in and on the body. And these include bacteria, viruses, fungi, and microeukaryotes, predominantly located in the gut. And so that's our main interest is in the intestinal microbiome for that reason. And this varies from person to person or from race to race or from age to age, or give me a feel for that. So the microbiome develops throughout our lifetime um, and it starts to stabilize around the age of three to five or so, um, and then kind of declines in diversity and changes again um, as we grow much older. <laughs> and <clears throat> so age does make a difference. Sex seems to make a difference. Um, you mean gender? <laughs> sex. <All> right. <laughs> right. <clears throat> sex seems to make a difference in the uh, composition of the microbiome as well. In what sense? Um, just that, that the microbiome changes. Ha different differences in the microbiome have been observed in men versus women. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's a good or a bad thing? or It's, it's unknown. <laughs> it's unknown. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. Um, the relevance of the microbiome to hematopoietic cell trans transplant in humans. Talk to me about that for a minute. So the, the intestinal microbiome has been implicated in either an association or causally, causally related to the development of complications following transplantation. So these include graft-versus-host disease, acute graft-versus-host disease, and infectious complications, um, mortality even, and disease relapse. Okay, I spoke to Jamie Ferrara, who I'm sure you know quite well or know about him anyway, and he said to me that unfortunately a lot of the experimental data cannot be translated into the human situation. Is that a fair comment, do you think? Um, I mean, he's an experimentalist primarily. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times we do see changes in mouse models that have not been demonstrated in humans. Um, with these associational studies, I'm particularly referring to human studies where they've found an increase in certain bacteria associated with the development of graft-versus-host disease. Okay, let's expand on that a little bit, so, because obviously graft-versus-host disease is a dreaded complication mm -hmm. of uh, allogeneic stem cell transplant. So what's the connection or what sort of differences do we see in the microbiome which might influence acute graft-versus-host disease? It's interesting that the the key features of the microbiome that have been associated with resistance to graft-versus-host disease have been obligate anaerobes. And these are the less well-known organisms within our gut um, that have been difficult to culture. So for example, decreased levels of 
obligate anaerobes like Bacteroides, Laudia species, or Fecalibacterium have been implicated in the development. Decreased levels of those have been implicated in the development of graft-versus-host disease. So what, is there any practical sort of um, use of that knowledge? <laughs> so that's a good question. So one of the questions that I've been interested in is trying to understand, and that others have been interested in as well, is trying to understand whether um, there's a difference in outcomes when we choose one antibiotic versus another for empiric neutropenic fever treatment. So is there a difference in outcome when we choose an anaerobically active antibiotic, for example, a carbapenem versus cefepime, which does not have the same anaerobic activity? And this may have implications for what we, what we choose for first-line therapy in neutropenic fever. Okay, well, not, not everybody who gets an autograph gets acute GVHD, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. but, so do you do a sort of a, you look at the microbiome, early on or at what stage in the transplant uh, scenario do you move in? Mm -hmm. the, the key microbiome changes have been seen at the time of engraftment. And those have demonstrated differences with differences in the microbiome at the time of engraftment have been um, demonstrated to influence graft-versus-host disease and other outcomes. Okay. Not quite as much microbiome characterization prior to transplant. So how, when, when do you look for, or when do you start to analyze the microbiome then in practical terms? In practical terms, we do want to find changes in the microbiome prior to transplant that would allow us to determine what empiric therapies to give um, and to determine the risk for graft-versus-host disease. Unfortunately, the microbiome prior to transplant hasn't been as helpful as the microbiome at the time of engraftment. So what do you do actually? So in actuality, this is still at the level of research without any, you know, clear clinical use at this time, mostly because the sequencing technology doesn't allow us to do an analysis of microorganisms in real time yet. Okay. But that should be coming down the pike. So at the moment, you're talking about laboratory animals primarily, are you, as opposed to... Studying in humans. Yeah. When we look at the microbiome in humans, um, uh, it takes us on the order of days to weeks to really sequence the organisms in the gut okay. using shotgun sequencing. So weeks is a bit long. It's a for too long purposes. for practical purposes, yeah. right. Um, have you any feel for what we call myeloablative conditioning versus reduced intensity in terms of the microbiome yet, or is that too early to say? Um, I don't know of the differences there. I know that um, Key differences can be observed depending on the risk for infection and the number of antibiotics that are used um, or the type of conditioning regimens that can influence the microbiome. Okay. And that's variable between different sites. Yes, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, okay, uh, one of the things I, I read about are prebiotics and probiotics. Mm -hmm. and I'm totally confused. Mm -hmm. Can you enlighten me sure. as to what they are and are they any use? So probiotics are live organisms that are given to improve host health, the recipient's health. Um, whereas prebiotics, I think of as the food or the nutrition for the probiotic organisms in the gut. So probiotics are alive and prebiotics are fibers, generally speaking. Okay. And in terms of transplant, are these relevant? So uh. there have been mixed uh, findings between uh, mouse models and human studies referring to what you had talked about earlier. Yeah. So in mouse models, it seemed that yogurt containing lactobacillus and bifidobacterium seemed to improve outcomes and reduce graft-versus-host disease. And in humans, in children, there was no difference in graft-versus-host disease when using a probiotic. And in addition, probiotics, as an infectious disease physician, I see 
bloodstream infections with organisms that are known probiotic organisms. And a recent study found that the exact same strain was in the probiotic that was then found in the patient's blood. So we do have to worry about complications from the use of probiotics. Um, in addition, the probiotics are not FDA regulated. And so it's unclear what you're getting, how much of the organism you're getting, and whether that organism is alive. So a small study in Japan found that prebiotics may be helpful in transplant recipients. It was a retrospective study. And um, in my work in the bot lab at Stanford, we studied a prebiotic known as fructooligosaccharides in patients undergoing reduced intensity transplantation. And we didn't find any differences preliminarily in the microbiome at this time, and it was underpowered to look for differences in clinical outcomes. It seems to be well tolerated, however. So at the moment, probiotics are, at the moment, are a knife edge, is that fair to say? I mean, uh, maybe good or maybe not. Yeah, probiotics and prebiotics yeah. are two, um, are just unknown at this time. Okay. And the concern for probiotics would be the safety. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of, of transmitting that to mm -hmm. into a bloodstream mm -hmm. infection. In addition, MD Anderson work at MD Anderson with Dr. Wargo has found that probiotic use is associated with decreased response to immune checkpoint inhibitors. And that's preliminarily at this point. That's a preliminary finding at this point. But okay. it does concern all of us that when we say probiotics are maybe not effective, but they can't harm us, we may have to revise that assessment in cancer patients. Right. Well, I do see I, I, advertisements on television mm -hmm. for them that's just going to make you live forever. But that's probably <laughs> not quite true. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, one of the areas which generates a lot of, um, shall we say, antibodies in people is the whole idea of fecal transplants. Uh, doesn't sound particularly nice. Can you wax eloquent about that for a few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> so fecal transplants are what they sound like. They're the uh, use of donor feces put into a recipient through many methods, including colonoscopy, endoscopy, or oral, ca oral capsules to improve the recipient's um, disease state to prevent disease. So we know that um, FMT is very effective in patients with refractory C. diff infection. And because of our understanding of the microbiome and its role in transplantation outcomes, we want to be able to use a therapy like FMT to alter outcomes. And so a lot of studies have been looking at FMT for non-C. diff infection-related um, treatment, for example, for graft-versus-host disease and for elimination of multidrug-resistant organisms, prevention of C. diff and others. Is there much sort of resistance to the use by patients. I mean, it doesn't sound very nice. Um, that's variable, <laughs> but I think that the, the gastroenterologists who've been performing fecal transplants have been surprised, at least anecdotally, that patients seem to be receptive to fecal transplants because at that time when they are, um, when they are about to receive the fecal transplants, they're really sick and they really would do anything to improve... <laughs> you know, improve diarrhea and, and feel better. Right. I mean, when I was a transplanter some time ago, um, we, were t we were taught, and I was teaching, to try not to do colonoscopies or invasive things like that mm -hmm. in neutropenic patients. Mm -hmm. Is that, does that go against what you're saying? Or uh? it, It's true. That is a concern. And so, um, you know, many centers have been trying to use now oral capsules to improve that process. 
Unfortunately, many oral capsules are required, 15 per day for two days. Okay. So that can be a little taxing on patients who may not want to swallow anything. At all. <laughs> but that may be a that may be less risky than endoscopy or colonoscopy. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Okay, so we have a few, a few lessons still to learn about the mm -hmm. microbiome and mm -hmm. its role. So thank you very much indeed for sharing you. your thoughts with us. So for you young investigators out there, there are still a lot of questions and hopefully a lot of answers in the future, which will make the biome, microbiome, which has been around for at least 50 years anyway, uh, a useful tool in the management of one of the dreaded complications of hematopoietic cell transplantation. Music